0: Hey, Berean family, this is Jeremy Skinner, your missionary to Indonesia. I'm here in Pagar Alam in South Sumatra, where the local people group, the Basima people, has been unreached for over 2,000 years. And because of your generosity, we've been able to broker a deal to share the harvest of this coffee farm right behind me. There's about 3,000 trees. And because of this, we've been able to set up a business as mission platform where we're able to, to have a local Indonesian believer gain permission to live and work in this area And through that, he's able to share the gospel, bring the good news of Jesus Christ to people who have never heard it before. I just wanted to take a minute to thank you so much for helping to make this possible. We could not do this without you. We're honored to be your hands extended to Indonesia. God bless you guys, and thanks so much. I do wanna take a moment to let you know that your faithful giving to the church, ministry, and the missions is not taken for granted. Because of your consistent giving to missions, they needed $5,000 to complete that project, and entrepreneurial missions is opening doors all over the world, and uh, so we wanted to team with them, and we were able to give $5,000 to finish the project without a special offering, because of your generous giving to the work of the kingdom. So give yourselves a hand and give God praise. Well, this morning, messages all take a different tone. Some are pragmatic, how we live our lives. Some are philosophical and doctrinal. This is what the word says. And others are experiential. We want to experience the goodness of God. And this morning, I think the message is intended to be that way. I don't know that it'll end that way. We'll see how it goes. That I want you to experience something this morning more than learn something. The idea being that preaching has a prophetic element that I believe should be experiential in the worship service of the church. It's not a lecture. It's a worship dynamic where we let God interact with us. When we started this series, it didn't start as a series, It was a message I felt like God put on my heart in between some series coming into Thanksgiving and then into Advent. And Pastor Nathan said, is this going to be a series? And I said, I don't know. We'll see when it's done. Well, it has turned into a three-week series that will be packaged that way on the website. And I want to give you a little bit as I look back what I felt like God was speaking to us on this short journey. The first week, we talked about when the devil tells the truth. The second week, when words die, that the word of the Lord never dies and endures forever. So I would characterize it this week. The first week, we talked about a deceptive word, when the devil tells the truth to mislead you, a deceptive word. And understanding that the greatest danger we face doesn't come from the outside, Jesus warns us and Paul warns us that the gifts within the body, if not submitted to leadership and the Lord, can become misleading by wolves in sheep's clothing. So we talked about a deceptive word. And then we talked about the written word of God that we build our lives on. What's our protection? it's not your opinion, my opinion, or what the, what the, what the uh, pundits of the day say, that the solid foundation is the written word of God. So we move from a deceptive word to the written word of God. And this morning, the experiential piece is we're going to focus on the living word of God, because it isn't enough to protect you from error. It isn't enough to understand the word of God. How many of you believe that we need a living, vital, experiential relationship with the one who is described as the living word of God. We need to be protected from error. We need to be grounded in scripture, but that is so much spiritual death if there isn't the vibrancy and life of a relationship with our creator, God the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. In John chapter 1, where we will start, John is unique among the gospel writers. Mark gives us a really brief introduction to the incarnation of Christ. Matthew and Luke give us a longer story that we read from during Advent. And then when you first read John, you have to admit it's just kind of weird. After all of this pragmatic talk, you get to John and he says this kind of mystical kind of presentation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And we've quoted enough and read it enough that we just assume that it makes sense. But if you think about it, there's something a bit mystical in that description. And if you do a little research into who John was writing to, because the audience shapes how God breathes through the vessel— If you read about the culture of that day, you would discover that it was common for philosophers in the Greek world to talk about the logos, the word, as the reason that orders the universe. It didn't have corporate structure. It didn't have an identity other than that. That they recognized there was an intelligent design. There was an intelligent being somewhere, and philosophers simply referred to that as the Word. Those philosophical ideas had been around for hundreds of years, probably first mentioned 500 years before Christ. That the pagan world recognized there was an intelligence behind the word, world they lived in and called it the Word. It pervaded the thinking of many in John's day. So when John presents the word, he's doing something really similar to what Paul did when he stood on Mars Hill. You remember when he stood on Mars Hill and he looked around and he saw the altars to a variety of gods and he saw an altar, an idol, to the unknown god. And he says to them, "'I perceive in all things you are very religious.'" And he, and he comments on all of the gods, but he said, "'I noticed one that you call the unknown God, "'and I'm here to tell you who that one is "'that you ignorantly worship, "'and his name is Jesus Christ and preaches the gospel.'" John is doing the same thing. You recognize intelligent design. And while I'm thankful for that, in scientific and academic circles, I will tell you belief in intelligent design is not much better than no belief at all because it won't get you into heaven. You've got to take another step. And John is saying this word that you believe provided intelligence and oversees the the universe, I'm going to tell you who that word is. In the beginning, he's saying to them, you were right, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made, and in him was life, and that life Um, was the light of the whole world shines to every man that comes in and then you go through that descriptor and you get to verse 14 and he says this and here's the crux of the matter this divine intelligence the word became flesh Woo! put your shouting clothes on this morning I said the word, intelligent design, the influence that's out there that any rational individual can recognize, he is saying that intelligent design that you can see in the structure of the universe became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The living word is a visible expression of the invisible God. Words have no meaning except that words in our language or any language are simply vehicles that carry an invisible thought or an invisible definition. The word becomes a vehicle to communicate that. And when Jesus came to earth... And became flesh and lived among us, he became the visible expression of the invisible God and we're called to worship him. So this living word, the phenomenal truth is this, the word dwelt among us. Jesus came to tabernacle among us. That word dwelt is a similar word, though not the same, is a similar word to the Old Testament tabernacle. What was the point of the Old Testament tabernacle? And the finalized temple, you've gotta understand the tabernacle was where God dwelt. As they traveled through the wilderness, as we are traveling through the wilderness, they would take the tabernacle with them. The tabernacle had three compartments. One is called the outer court where you would have a gate to come in. That's why the psalmist says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Because that's where the practical worship would take place. You'd be confronted by the brazen altar where they would give holocaust. Burnt offerings to God, and then the laver, which spoke of the cleansing of the Spirit, the washing of the Holy Spirit. All of that happened out in public. It was their physical expression of worship. And then there was another compartment covered by uh, curtains or coverings that you couldn't see in. And if you stepped into the curtain, the first place you saw was called the Holy Place. The holy place is that part that wasn't seen. It had three articles of worship in there. It had the table of showbread that speaks of the emotion of man. It had the altar of incense, which speaks about the will of man. And it had the candlestick, which speaks about the intelligence of man. And that's where their worship would take place. So you would go from the outer court. How many are still with me? You'd go from the outer court in worship that could be seen to the inner court, worship that could not be seen, that was ministered to by the priest. And then there was this thick curtain. Nobody could go in there except once a year. The high priest would go in with the blood of the sacrifice and put it on the top of the Ark of the Covenant to cover the um, the blood covering to cover the sins of the people for another year. It was a holy day. Tradition tells us that they would tie a rope to the high priest's ankle when he would go in so that if he died they could drag him out and not be killed themselves. What a great job that would be. We have confidence in you and we are way behind you. Way, way, way behind you. But it was in, are you ready? It was in the holy place. <laughs> above the golden um, top of the Ark of the Covenant that they carried with them that represented the glory and presence of God. One man touched it in an unholy way and God smote him on the spot and it's there in the Holy of Holies and it's there between the cherubim on the on the Ark of the Covenant that the Shekinah, the glory of God dwelt and it hovered above the mercy seat with underneath being the law of the covenant that they broke it and what covered the Shekinah of God from the brokenness of the law was a blood covering. And I'm telling you what, they would have understood this word dwelt among to come from the picture of the Old Testament tabernacle and they would hear that Jesus came to tabernacle among us, to dwell, well, among us that the Shekinah glory of God had moved out of the Holy of Holies and out of the holy place into the presence where people lived and the veil was torn and there's access with God because Jesus is the presence of God the glory of God the Shekinah of God and God sent his son to be the fulfillment of the tabernacle among us he wanted to be the glory of God with us John saw it clearly and calls us to that, that he dwelt among us. Do you know that God's desire from the beginning of creation was to dwell with you? And how many of you know it's different to dwell with someone than to have someone in the neighborhood? There are people that dwell at my house. Well, right now it's two of us. But dwelling together is different than neighboring together. Dwelling together is different than sharing a hometown. You're doing life together. You're experiencing life together. And I, I have to correct something I've said, but God created Adam and Eve and placed them in the garden. And I've said that in the cool of the day, God walked with Adam and Eve and communed with them. But the Bible doesn't really say that. Here's what it does say. After Adam and Eve partook of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the Bible says that they heard the voice of God as he moved through the garden in the cool of the day. And he says, Adam, where are you? Now, I think it's a fair implication that they recognized the sound of God in the garden, that it was common for God to dwell with them in the cool of the day. And I don't know how often that happened or whether it happened every day, but where it says in the King James, they heard the voice. Others say they heard the sound. That Hebrew word means joy and music, and celebration. It spoke of a party, frivolity in the positive sense that God apparently came in the cool of the day to do what? To dwell with Adam and Eve. And there was music in the presence of God and the glory of God because God's desire even in creation was that he would dwell with us. <laughs> Shout now somebody. I'm, I'm preaching good stuff this morning, I'm telling you what. He wanted to dwell with us. And not because of my technique, but the word of God is alive and real and vibrant. And God's desire at the very beginning when he created Adam and Eve and put them in the garden was to have a creation that he could, are you hearing me this morning? That he could dwell with. Not that he would send letters to or that they would read about or go to church to learn about, but that he would dwell with us. And do life with us. That was his plan in the beginning. Adam, where are you? Shows us what sin does. And it immediately separated them from God. And it's the first time we read about man being afraid. Because sin brings fear. Sin brings separation. And God isn't saying, Adam, where are you? Because he didn't know where he was. He's saying, Adam, where are you? Because you're not in the place of fellowship. You're not in the place where I meet with you. You're not in the place where we share fellowship together. I'm calling you out, Adam. I can come find you, but I need you to come where I am. Because nothing changes till we come where he is. God's desire was to dwell in the very beginning with us. Dwelling with us we'll see in a little while, is the fulfillment of God's plan of mankind and creation. God's plan will be filled in revelation by dwelling among us. In fact, this word, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, that specific word in its framework is only used in one other book of the Bible. It's only used in the book of Revelation. John has a message for us that God wants to dwell with us. He wants to dwell among us. And here's how it gets fulfilled. Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, this is how it's all going to wind up, when God's timetable is fulfilled. I heard a voice from the throne saying, now, 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 the dwelling of God, the tabernacling of God is with men. And he will live with them and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. God's beginning, hear me, God's beginning plan and his ending fulfillment was to dwell with us. Come on, help me this morning was to dwell with us. He created us, and everything in between is to bring us back to the place where it is fulfilled that God will dwell with us. And I want you to know that that is our calling today, not to just go to church and learn and read as important as those things are, or to do the right things, or to serve the community, but God, help us. If our religion is only pragmatic, if it's only academic, it's got to be experienced that he walks with me. Come on. And he talks with me and he tells me that I'm his own. I don't care what prayer you've prayed. I don't care what book you've read. I don't care what scripture you can quote. I want to know, did you walk with him this morning? Did he come with you to church today? Is he going to lunch with you when you leave this place? Is he walking with you on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday? Because the desire of God is to walk. Talk with us and dwell with us. That's what Paul means when he writes about praying without ceasing, that you're in dialogue with God. I've used this illustration often, but can you imagine what my marriage would be like if I said to my wife on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday mornings, I'm going to give you an hour where we can talk together, but leave me alone the rest of the time. That's called sleeping with one eye open. because there is an expectation that I have and that she has is that we will dwell together, that we will interact together, that we will do life together. And there are times where we can spend it together, but I will tell you, this I haven't asked her this, but for me, there's never a time that we're apart that we're not together in my heart. Is anybody hearing me this morning? We, not, we, may, we may not be in the same place geographically, but we're in the same place relationally. And when that gets out of alignment, I need to get back. And, I mean, we need to correct that <laughs> because it's dwelling together. Do you know why the disciples were called and became apostles? How did they move from these fishermen and businessmen and became the great men that they were? You say, well, it's because Jesus taught them he was a rabbi. No, you just got to read the text. Listen to what Mark tells us, that he appointed 12, designating them apostles. And what was the first requirement to be an apostle? What did Jesus want? Why did he pick them that they might be? Be with him. Apostolic ministry is about being with him. Moving from being a fisherman to being a disciple is being with him. And once they had been with him, then he wanted to send them out to preach. You can't do ministry. You can't serve your community if you're not taking time to be with him. He came to dwell among us. He came to dwell among us. Now, second, I want you to know this morning, and I hope to rattle a few cages a little bit, the word of faith is near you. The word of faith is near you. I'm going to challenge some misconceptions that some believers have in this concept of dwelling together with God In Romans chapter 10, that we cite often about people coming to faith in Christ, the context is about the source of our righteousness. Where does it come from? I was in a meeting recently. People were talking about various things they were doing and exploring. And there was a mental health professional who shared that our anxiety and fear comes from self-righteousness thought, well, that's an interesting concept. He said people who are anxious and have fear and mental health issues, unless they're diagnosable, there's a whole other element, I grant you that, but are trying to create their own peace. And when something is wrong, they assume that they have done something wrong and can't get to a place of peace and he said we fail to understand that our peace doesn't come from how we behave, our peace comes from Christ and that many evangelicals are driven by a mindset of self-righteousness that I have to do everything right in order to have the peace of God and the peace of God that passes all understanding will keep your hearts and minds Through what? Through Christ Jesus, not through human effort. Paul is dealing with that. And he says to them, are you righteous by faith or by the works of the law? We are all in trouble when we seek to establish our own righteousness by our righteous behaviors. And trying to achieve your own righteousness is its own special kind of prison. Because you can never measure up. So here's the point. Ready? Righteousness is not a far away works-based journey. Righteousness is not a far away, a far off works-based journey. And he deals with that this way in Romans chapter 10 as he's talking to them about righteousness. And he says, with the argument that would have been, well, what are we going to do? Are we going to go to heaven and bring him back? Are we going to go into the depths and bring him up? Do we have to go to heaven and bring him here? Do we raise him from the dead? Because if works, faith is based, I mean, if righteousness is based on faith, it's a long journey. We can't see him anymore. He's not here anymore. And I thought as I read that this week, how many excuses have I heard about performance based righteousness that it's too far for me to reach? I don't think I can ever get there. It's a long way away from me. I don't know how I will ever be righteous. And you won't. in your own effort. You don't have to go to heaven to find him. You don't have to go to the grave to bring him up. Here's what he says. <laughs> People say, I, it's just so hard. I don't know if I can believe. I don't know if I can get there. And this is what Paul says. Really? The word of faith, which is faith in Jesus, the word of faith Is right on your lips. Don't tell me how far away it is. Understand, it's right on your lips. Well, I just don't have a lot of faith. Stop it. The word of faith is right on your lips. I don't know if I can trust Him. Oh, the word of doubt is also right on your lips. What's on your lips? The word of faith is near you. It is on your lips and in your heart. You just have to release it and give life to that because everyone in the house, whatever your need is, whatever struggle you're facing, god is not a long way off he's right on your lips he's right by your side he is in your heart and what you need isn't a work it up believing it's a trusting in the one who is our righteousness the word of faith is near you it's near you Quit looking a 1,000 miles away to some kind of performance drive and recognize he's right here. I said he's right here. Righteousness is not a faraway journey. The word of faith is near you. And he cites the Old Testament. And I want to read to you the context of of the reference that Paul makes to the word of faith being near you. He's talking to them in Deuteronomy. Um, Now what I'm commanding you today as Moses is speaking to them, now what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. (laughs) Whoo, that'll preach. I'm saying that this morning. The demands of the word of God, the messages that are preached here and around you, it's not hard for you. But you don't know what I'm going through. It's not hard for you. You're making it hard, but it isn't hard. Now what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us that we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. No, this is Old Testament. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. (laughs) Listen to me. You have the key to your victory. Come on, some shout now. You have the key to your victory. It's not someone else's problem. It's not some journey you need to go on. It's not a pilgrimage you need to take to Mecca or the Holy Land. It's right here. It's not hard. It's right near you. The key is in your hand. You just need to begin to use it and believe in it. It isn't hard to believe when you quit believing in your ability to believe and start believing in a supernatural God and the veracity and truth of what he has already said. The living word is ever present. So he came to dwell among us. The word dwelt among us. The word of faith is right near you. And here's the good news. It's this same word of God that's coming back again. Don Brank would say, put your shouting shoes on now, church. I'm telling you, he's coming back. I know it's not popular. (laughs) And I know that those doctrines are being wrestled even in our own circles. I've heard recently Assemblies of God preachers referred to the rapture as escapism. And I'm telling you, it's not escapism. It's my blessed hope. And I don't want to weary or tire or back up because it's fouling into a place of disfavor in some secular materialistic mindsets, even in our own circles. I'm telling you that they said this same Jesus, which was taken up from you, shall so return in like manner as you've seen him go he's coming back he said he would he's coming after me and I'm listening for a shout I'm listening for the trump to sound and I want to be ready when he calls my name do you believe it's true oh absolutely it gets me up in the morning it puts me to bed at night it walks with me through the day this could be the day this could be the day he's coming back Joe Biden's not in charge. Donald Trump's not in charge. The Republicans aren't in charge. The Democrats aren't in charge. The Independents aren't in charge. God the Father is in charge. And the Word of God is coming back one of these days. He's coming back. Yeah, I believe it. Call me ignorant. Call me simple. Call me whatever you want. And I'll call you goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye, world, goodbye. Don't you weep for me he's coming back a second time now we have to understand this he is coming back first secretly there's a catching away of his bride and we could talk eschatology and I'd love to talk to you about eschatology and how I don't believe that our typical uh uh (sighs) Our typical Tim hey, eschatology is necessarily exactly accurate. I'm telling you, I do believe the Antichrist will come and rule and reign on the earth. And I do believe that we'll be gone before that happens. Because Jesus isn't going to allow his bride to be abused. He's going to take her out before that happens. Now, that doesn't mean we won't have trouble in this world you will have tribulation we will live through the time that jesus talked about the beginning of sorrows and it gives us a hope that we will spend eternity in heaven but i'm telling you what telling you what paul made it really clear in first thessalonians chapter four for the lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and the trump of god and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall not prevent those that are asleep, but will be gathered together with the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. He's coming back, he said he would, and there's going to be a secret catching away. Now, I know we say, well, all the, you know, all the planes, veer are off their courses, in the courtroom, no debate. I don't think there's that many believers. In fact, I have a paradigm I can present to you to show you that we'll be gone and they won't even know that we're gone or why we're gone and they won't blame it on UFOs or aliens. I'm just saying to you, don't expect a great revival when the church is taken out because when the presence of God is here through the church and people are ignoring it, you think they're gonna respond because a bunch of us disappeared? They're gonna blame it on something gone on in their own self-will and ignorant rebellion that they're in now. But I'm telling you the truth of the matter is if you're believing that Jesus is going to come, that's not escape that's passion for evangelism because I want everyone to get in the ark before the door shuts. Amen. Come on. Yes, I believe that. But I also believe after that, marriage, supper of the Lamb, rewards measured out, the judgment seat of Christ, all that will be happening during that tribulation period in heaven that he's coming back publicly. Every who. Every eye will see him. There were days where people wondered, how in the world will he come back in physical form, and every eye will see him. Today, you can't blow your nose without every eye seeing you. Hello? How many know what I'm talking about? And they won't let you forget. Every eye will see him. It's referred to as the second advent when he'll touch down on the Mount of Olives. It'll cleave east to the west. Every eye will see him. They will look on him whom they pierced. Satan will be overthrown. And God will establish the millennial kingdom under the hand of Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you he will rule with the rod of iron. And I believe that there will be a literal thousand year reign of the Lord Jesus Christ on planet earth. After which there'll be a time of rebellion and then the new heaven and the old earth will or the new heaven and new earth will replace the old heaven and the old earth that are going to be destroyed by fire I believe all of that's true but I want you to see him I want you to see him I preached all this to get to this I want you to see him you remember how he came the first time Mary did you know that your baby boy Mary did you know that when you kiss that little baby, you kiss the face of God and we all gather around that little baby as we should and celebrate his coming and the miracle of the incarnation and celebrate that as he should. But I'm telling you, that was a one time without reruns. Let me tell you how he's coming back. He's not coming back as a baby. He's not coming back as a wimpy man. He's not coming back to be tormented again. He's coming back as the conquering king. Are you ready for this? I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a blazing fire. On his head are many crowns. And he has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. And how will you know him? Because he's dressed in a robe dipped in blood. That's my Savior. That's my Savior. He's coming back with the cover the blood and what is his name his name is the word of God in the beginning was the word and the word dwelt among us and I'm telling you that same word of God is coming back again as the conquering king he is coming back (laughs) whoo the armies of heaven followed him riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen clean and white out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations he will rule them with an iron scepter he treads the right winepress of the fury of the wrath of God and on his robe and in his thigh he has this name written remember crown on his head a vesture dipped in blood his name is the world of God but he comes back with this identifier he is the king of kings and he is the lord of lords who's coming back the conquering king the word of God to set up God's final earthly kingdom the living word will be the eschatological fulfillment of the plan of God as the word he dwelled among us As the word, he's abiding near us. And as the word, he's coming back again. Oh man, if you don't feel something going on on the inside, you need to give your life to Jesus because he's coming back again. So my question for you, is he abiding near you now? Worship isn't singing a song you like. It's about entering into the presence. But he's to walk with us in the morning through the day and at night. Listen, there's an old chorus we used to sing, and I'm not advocating we sing it again because we sang it to death, but I want you to hear the lyrics. It went like this. He is here, hallelujah. He is here, amen. He is here, holy, holy. I will bless his name again. He is here, listen closely. Hear him calling out your name. He is here, you can touch him you will never be the same whatever you need this morning, the word of faith, the word of God the the God made flesh man is right here with you if you're depressed, discouraged, despair in a trial, you can reach out and touch him, and why can you have confidence today? (laughs) Uh, because I saw what he looks like when he comes back And I, would you stand with me? And I want us just to celebrate him and just love him and give him praise this morning. He is here. The word of God wants to dwell with us. The word of God is here among us. And the word of God is coming back again. He's worthy our praise. Let's magnify him. You were the word that the beginning. One with God your hidden glory in creation now revealed in you our Christ what a beautiful name the name of Jesus Christ my King What a beautiful name it is, nothing compares to this, what a beautiful name it is. that you feel like God is a million miles away from you. He's forgotten you. He doesn't know where you are. And I'm telling you, the declaration of God over you this morning is quit looking down the road and look in the chair right beside you. He's in the house with you. He's there right by your side. And if you will reach out and touch him, you will find the life and health and vibrancy that you need. Because the word of faith is on your lips. He's right by your side. Amen. If you love him this morning, let me hear your hands. He's worthy of praise. Thank you so much for your faithful commitment to serving God and working in his kingdom. Thank you for your financial giving. It's the fuel that the machinery of ministry runs on. We need the anointing for anything to happen, but the engine is fueled by your giving. Thank you for that. We appreciate it so, so much. Amen. God bless you, and let's celebrate the God who walks with us all through the day. God bless